Thanks, Tyrone. Well, it's so good to have Steve Mahark here bringing God's Word to us in just a moment. Steve is here with his wife, Christy, and kids, Madeline, Isaac, and Owen are here as well. And we want to give them, they're, they're living in San Dimas, California, one and all church, but they're back in Australia for a little time. We should give them a big Aussie welcome home to you guys. So good to have you here. Australia even won the rugby just for you guys last night, you know, just to make you feel right at home. Um, but we are super blessed to have them back here for a little time. Steve uh, was a Queensland Baptist minister, senior pastor for a number of years and accepted the call to go over to California to pastor at One and All Church under Jeff Vines. He looks after all of their campus ministries, which is huge. He was just saying when he goes back home, they're launching another campus. And Steve's been a friend of mine for many years, going back to university days, long before we were married, had kids in the ministry, that's for sure. And it's great to have those friendships that span over such a big time. And Steve's been a great encouragement to me personally, and not just to me, but to us as a church. When we went online, um, Steve was a blessing just to have you contact there to be able to talk to you around online church and connecting up with Jono and all the team as well. So big thanks to that. We've even got the strobe lights on just to make you feel really special tonight as you come. But I'd love it if you could give a big welcome to Steve as he comes to bring God's word to us now. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I love Bridgman. I've been involved with uh, Nathan for a long time and Pete before him. And uh, yeah, I love your church, generous church, awesome church. Uh, You get things right, just like Tyrone. He got married, then he shaved his head. That's very smart, very smart to do that after the fact. So well done, Tyrone. Uh, Yeah, we're going to enjoy the message tonight because we're going to dive deep into the Bible. And uh, we're going to jump on a verse that you probably know quite well. It's uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's one of those popular verses. Hands up if you know that verse already. All right. Everyone else in the room with their hands down, you're probably not a real Christian, but it's all right. Uh, It'll come. It'll come. It's one of those really popular verses. People put it on their Bible. They get it tattooed and all that sort of thing. They sort of do it like a purpose statement or a vision for their life. Uh, And it sort of says, what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And it sounds really cool. It's a great verse. Very like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Uh, But the problem is, like many verses, we just pick it out of the Bible. Uh, There's so much more fun to be had if we have a good hard look at what God meant by that verse. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to take that verse off you. I'm going to ruin it. And then I'm going to give it back to you better than you ever had it before. I promise. So you have to stick with me because it's going to be a little bit annoying for the first half, uh, but I'm going to give it back to you in better condition and you're going to, you, can, you don't have to get that tattoo uh, changed. You can keep it uh, and you can keep your Bible cover and all that sort of thing or whatever T-shirt you have and I promise you, you're going to like it even more than you ever did before. Uh, but before we jump into that, why is this verse so good? Well, this was written in the 8th century before Jesus. So 700 years before Jesus turns up, the prophet Micah wrote this verse. And one of the reasons I really love the 8th century prophets, which is Isaiah, Micah, Amos, and Hosea, is because Israel was really affluent at that time. Israel had prosperity. It had a great king. Everything was going great. And so to me, it's a lot like Australia, all right? Uh, I live in Los Angeles now. Uh, We just saw the strobe lights. That was really good. I thought that was like a movie theme uh, because I'm visiting from LA. But uh, LA, you probably think, is this awesome place, right? 
Uh, but if you go there, it's feral, right? It's disgusting. Uh, LA has no trees, all right, except for the odd leaning palm tree that looked good in the 1960s. Uh, it's got huge problems. It's got massive amounts of uh, drug abuse, social issues, huge amount of homeless. It's very confronting. If you go to LA, you will struggle because you live in Australia. Australia is like you get off the plane and all you can smell is eucalypt and there's trees and there's birds uh, and there's a really great government here. I know that no Australian believes that, but you actually have a pretty good government here, whether you're Liberal or Labor. And, uh, you know, the welfare net, the safety net works here and there's a lot of uh, ways to save people from abject poverty. And, and because of all that, though, Australians get lulled into this affluent boredom where they don't think they need Jesus, all right? And they became, became about, like, just become these bored, insipid, depressed, anxious, angry people. Like your country, our country, I have the passport, I'm part of you still. Uh, we're so rich. Someone in America said to me recently, how does Australia, like we, during COVID, did you know that we pooped Russia and went up to the fifth largest GDP, right? And a friend of mine said, how, does, how do you do that? Only 25 million people. I said, whenever Australia runs out of money, we just dig another hole in Western Australia and it's all good. We're rich again, right? Uh, but the problem with all that, the problem with all that wealth and all that prosperity is our eyes drift away from God. We start to follow the world's ways and then the highlights of our life become things like, what's the next show on, on Apple Plus or State of Origin? I'm going to the State of Origin in, in a few weeks' time. Let's just stop and pray. Lord, <laughs> make them ill, injure them. Not, not season ending, just, just one week. Just something. No, I'm just joking. But, you know, like the state of origin is awesome. I'm excited about that. I want Queensland to win. I hate New South Wales, but I love my enemy. Uh, but if that's the highlight of your life, my guess is you're bored. My guess is you're bored. And you know, you hear the pastors from this church every week tell you that Jesus wants you to have the life that's truly life. I want to talk about that tonight. We're going to look at this Bible verse. It's going to hurt us a little. And then I'm going to give it back to you. And I hope that you can see there is a way to live the life that is truly life. And you won't look forward to the next season of Stranger Things. You'll look forward to something different, something way more powerful. You can enjoy a TV show, you can enjoy the footy, that's all fine. But there's something so much greater to be found. Uh, let's press into that and see what God has for us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Uh, we need you to speak. So I ask your Holy Spirit to come in uh, and liven the word of God tonight so that we can hear what you want to, uh, want to say to us. And I pray that we would capture that vision tonight, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Barna Group, they're a really cool group over in America. They do a whole bunch of studies of all different churches around the world and they give us statistics and it really is exciting because they ask this question every now and again. They say, what was the most significant thing for your spiritual growth? Us pastors, what do we want them to say every time? We want them to say, going to church, right? It's never that. 80% of the time, the number one answer for what is the most significant thing for your spiritual growth is reading the Bible. And so I want us to dig in, go a little bit deeper tonight Find out what this verse is about. 
Because the more you understand the Bible, the more it's gonna change your life, simple as that. It's the best thing, it points to the living word, Jesus Christ, and it gives us a true understanding of what God is like, and all of a sudden, we want that more than anything else, and that's when your life starts to change. So let's dig in. I'm gonna start at Micah chapter six, verse one. We're gonna line by line it for a little while. All right, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. So Micah comes along and he says, courtroom drama, all right? He sets the stage, it's this huge courtroom. It's not just some little courtroom, it's a full on serious courtroom. It's like the whole world is the courtroom and God is gonna bring this charge against his people and the foundations of the earth are gonna hear this charge. Like this is a full on serious moment. This is not Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth or some like pretty you know, lawyer in some TV show. This is God himself coming into the courtroom and declaring a case against who? Against his own people. So this is a full-on moment. Micah sets up this huge situation and says God is gonna speak. So God speaks right from the start. We're a little bit shocked. Verse three, my people, what have I done to you? God says, whoa, God's getting emotional. He's in court and he declares, what have I done to you? And then he starts to speak about what he's actually done to these people. Look at this. He says, how have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember with Balak, the king of Moab, when he plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. I have trouble with that word. It's hard to say any other way. And that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What's, what's God saying? He sort of comes at him hard and he says, I've got this case against you. What, what have I done for you? I've done everything for you. I saved you. I looked after you. I provided leaders for you. I cared for you. I led you. I was with you. I even did miracles to get you into the promised land. I parted the waters of the Jordan River and you went right into there, into Gilgal. He's just like, I did so much for you. And he brings this case against the people. Now the people in this scripture don't even speak. They are guilty as sin. We hear later in other parts of the book of Micah what they've been up to, but they've just drifted so far away from God's ways. They're doing all this selfish, greedy and things that we as Australians would sort of look at it and go, hmm, yeah, we do that too. It's very basic stuff. They're oppressing the poor. They're doing whatever feels good. They're chasing after selfish gain. Their eyes are just on normal things that hurt people. And God comes along and says, I've done everything for you people everything. They come back with a really interesting response. They don't try and say, no, 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 we're cool. They know they're guilty. They know they're guilty, but look at their response. They come back to God and they say this in verse six and seven. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? So they come back to God and they say, fair call, fair call, we're guilty. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? Just tell us what we have to do and we'll do it. You, you make the hoop, God, we'll jump through it. 
And they come and they say, give us, we'll, we'll give a religious response to this problem. We've heard that you like burnt offerings, we'll bring the best burnt offering. Pretty cool, right? They say, come on, Lord, just tell us what to do. We'll fix it, we'll fix it. Then they start to get real serious. Look at this one. They say, with the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with, a thou, with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? These guys are rich now. They say, what do you need, God? What do you need? You, is it a thousand rams? We'll do it. We'll, we'll buy a thousand rams and we'll, we'll burn them. We'll have a giant barbecue. Pull beef. I don't know. what Pull pork. What is it? Uh, we'll do whatever you want. And look at this next one. It's almost getting crazy. We'll, we'll give you 10,000 rivers of olive, olive oil. So God, God asked for these things in the past. He says, this is how you worship me religiously. And so they say, we'll become the most religious people. All right? Why are you at church tonight? Are you hoping that God will give you a tick of attendance? Would you be a good person? Are you at church tonight because you had a bad week and you want to appease God? Are you singing tonight because he deserves worship? Are you singing because that's the right thing to do? Are you singing because Christians are supposed to sing? Are you hoping that by being a Christian who sings, you become better at singing? This is what these people say to God. They say, hey, listen, tell us what to do, we'll do it. They even get so extreme here that they remember this moment in ancient history where God asked Abraham to give his firstborn son a pagan ritual. God stopped that and said, no, he didn't want to do it. But they even offer it here. Look at the last line. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They say to God, I'll even, I'll even give you my kid. If that's what it costs, if that's what you require, I'll do that. So God's in this courtroom. He declares against the people that they've done wrong. They respond and they say, tell us whatever you want, we'll do it. Whatever you want. And then God delivers the verdict. And the verdict is our favorite verse. Micah 6.8. God says, he has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Boom. This is our favorite verse. It's a verdict. It's God's verdict against the people. They come to him and they say, we'll do anything religious that you need us to do so that you're happy. And God says, I don't want a religious thing. I want you to be righteous. I want you to live like me. I want you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. That's what I want you to do. Now, I would imagine the courtroom would go silent at this moment. Because what's the one thing that human beings cannot do? We cannot act justly. We cannot love mercy and we do not walk humbly with God. I told you this verse is a bummer. It's rough. This is God's verdict against us. He says, I don't want all your singing and your dancing and your religious songs. I don't want you to do your church attendance and your community group attendance. I want you to be holy. I want you to be righteous. I want you to live the way I made you to live. 
I made you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with me. And you're not doing it. And here's the worst part. You can't. You can't. That's it. Let's go home. No, I told you there's good news. There's good news. It's very depressing. But there's more to the message. You know Micah. He tells the whole story. Now think of it. Sometimes when you read the Bible, guys, we get used to the Bible and we forget just how awesome the Bible is. Just remember that this was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And you're going to see some things now that make the Bible seriously cool. God, in order to make Jesus make sense, he predicted him. God, in order to make Jesus make sense, showed us things that only God could know about Jesus so that we would spot Jesus, so we'd understand Jesus, so we'd see what Jesus did was effective and powerful and so that we would eventually recognize Jesus for who he really was. So this is what starts to happen in Micah. Micah chapter 2 verse 3 says this, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. I told you this is the most positive sermon you've ever heard. It's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, Could you worship God if he did not act justly? I couldn't. Last week we ran a a youth camp up in the mountains of California and we had a, a bunch of young girls come away. And on that camp, just in this very small group of young girls, the things that were divulged that they was suffering from, just broke my heart. All sorts of terrible things. Things that I don't even want to mention because there's young kids in the room. Just the worst things you could ever imagine shared happening to this group of young girls in our church. And I just, it just broke my heart. And I thought, I can't worship a God who doesn't care about that. And I can't worship a God who's not going to do something about that. And so when God comes along here and he says, I'm planning a disaster against my people from which you cannot save yourselves, a part of us goes, oh, I don't like that. God's getting nasty. But a part of me says, yes, evil needs to be dealt with. So God says, you can't get out of this one. Now, if we know history and we understand what happened, God took his protective covering away from this affluent group of people. And this other group of people, the Assyrians, came in and they swept them and they took control of them. And they were punished. But there's a promise in Micah as well. Look at this. Look at this. Micah chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. God's going to judge them. The judgment is definitely going to happen. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. But God's got a plan. No one is like God. God is perfect in justice. He's also all-powerful. And he's also perfect in love. There's nothing that we can look at in creation that is like that. Nothing. We can't understand him because he's so different to us. He's so perfect. And we've never seen those three things displayed on earth. Perfect power, perfect justice, and perfect love. When Jesus turned up, by the way, we never would have predicted what he did. Hey, When we hear that God who's perfect in power, perfect in justice and perfect love turned up, we would have thought he was going to take out Rome, get control of the whole place and make us all behave and put in some really good laws. He didn't do that. What did he do? This all-powerful God laid down his life and allowed himself to be killed and murdered by us. Totally mind-bending. We never get our head around the way God behaves. And so here, God is revealing this plan. Look what he says in Micah chapter 2, 12 and 13. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob, which is a word for Israel. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. This remnant 
there's going to be this group of people who want to act justly. They want to love mercy. They want to walk with God, but they can't. But God is going to gather this remnant and he's going to do something amazing. Look what's going to happen. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. Whoa, it's going to be a remnant, but there's going to be a throng of people. There's going to be a multitude of people in this pasture, in this pen. Now, we're not agricultural people, but that means a really good place to be, a really safe place to be, a really wonderful place with God. And so God's going to somehow gather all these people in. How's he going to pull this off? Well, the next verse is the one that's super alarming. It says, the one, this Messiah, this this mysterious figure who's going to turn up in history. Now remember, this is 700 years before Jesus is even born. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them and they will break through the gate and go out. What's breaking through? The one who can act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God. The one thing we couldn't do, the one thing we could never get right, this Messiah is going to come who can do it. He's going to be the one where the verdict won't apply to him. When God said, I've required one thing of you lot to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God and you couldn't do it, someone's coming who's going to be able to do it. And here's the coolest part, look at this. He's going to break open the way before them and they will break through the gate and go out as well. So this is something new. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to make a way to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God And we, for the first time ever, are going to be able to break out behind him and join suit and do the same thing. This is amazing. It's it's mysterious. He tries to give us a bit more information so we can spot this Messiah. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Now, this Messiah is going to come. He's going to be the one who can act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. He's going to make a way for anyone who wants to be part of that remnant to do the same thing. He's going to be a king, and he's going to be God. He's going to be the Lord, the Scripture tells us. Amazing. Micah 5, two, just for a bit of fun, it also predicts, there's a lot of predictions in the Old Testament about this Messiah, the one who is going to come, Jesus. And here we have a prediction, very important prediction. It's exactly where Jesus would be born, 700 years before he's born. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Doesn't make sense without Jesus, does it? How can someone from ancient times be born in Bethlehem in the future? Bizarre, right? Unless you're a clairvoyant who believes in reincarnation and a whole bunch of second lives, right? How many of you have been Cleopatra in in a past life? No? I'd love to be a clairvoyant just for one day. I'm going to be really fun. I'd go in there and someone would say, what was was I in a previous life? And I'd say, oh, you were a loser. You lived a meaningless life. You were very unsuccessful in everything that you did. Your name was Gerald. You just lived out in the suburbs. What else do you want to know? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That's just my sense of humor. (laughs) Jesus is predicted by God. He's going to come and do something that no one else could do. He could act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever read the scripture of Jesus? Just for fun, read the Bible 
And every time Jesus is about to speak, every time Jesus is about to act, pause and try and predict what he's gonna do. If you'd never read the Bible before, you will get it wrong every time. Every time. He's from out of this world. He acts justly. He loves mercy. And he walks humbly with God. He does things over and over again that we would never predict. And it's amazing. The more you look into who Jesus is and what he's like, the more impressed you're gonna get with him. You see, he'd respond to people. He would act. He would do certain things. And at first you're shocked. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that coming or I didn't expect that or I didn't think he'd speak that way or I didn't think he'd respond that way. And then you think about what he just did and you'd go, oh, oh, wow. The more you get to know Jesus, the more impressed you are, the more blown away you are. His wisdom is out of this world. His way is out of this world. He is nothing like us. One of my favorite quotes uh, from a theologian is says, The miracle is not that Jesus is like God. It's that God is like Jesus. What does that mean? It means when you look at Jesus, you see God, exactly what he's like. You know, as youth pastors, we used to always try and explain the Trinity to people and we'd say silly things like, it's like an egg with a yolk and a shell and a gooey bit. Don't listen to any youth pastor who tries to tell you, like, we have the only way that we understand anything about God is through Jesus. He's the only one that makes sense of God to us. He became a human so we could understand him. And then you watch his life, watch it closely. Look at the way he behaved. He always had a way of telling the truth, really hard things, but in a way that would humanize people. He never dehumanized people. He always humanized people. He always valued people. Every person counted to Jesus. He acts justly. He loves mercy. And he walks humbly with God. We've never seen it before until we saw Jesus. We saw glimpses of people who would obey God for five minutes. But it wasn't until Jesus came on the scene that we saw a whole life of acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. It's awesome. It's awesome to see. The more you get to know Jesus the more impressed you're gonna be with him. Think of someone you love right now. Sad story. The more you get to know them, the more possible it is you're gonna find things you don't like about them, right? Tyrone just got married. And his wife didn't even know he had the capacity to think that shaving his head was a good idea. She just learnt that. You're a good-looking rooster. Don't worry, Tyrone, you're a good man. Uh, The more you learn about Jesus, the more impressed you're gonna get. Every extra revelation you have of Jesus, the more you're gonna fall in love with him. Why? Because he's the only person in history who's acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly with God 100% of the time. He's the only person who's done it. And it's awesome what he did. We're gonna enter into a new courtroom right now. After Jesus has lived, died, rose again. He's broken through that pen. He's made a way. And he's taken the verdict that God declared in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I'm about to give you Micah 6, 8 back. You can have it again. Keep the tattoo. You can have it on your Bible. And I told you it'd be better than before. He takes that verdict where God gave it against us. And he's gonna live this perfect life so that God says, 
There it is. And Jesus invites us through this miraculous transaction. He says, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you the capacity to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I'm going to turn a verdict into an offer. That's what Jesus does. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33 to 35. Who will bring any charge? See, we're back in a courtroom. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one condemns. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. No one. What an amazing moment in history. Do you know the one thing you cannot do by yourself is act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God? You can't do it. Have you tried that lately? It is hard. Has it, have you tried to be just to all people? Have you tried to offer mercy to a New South Welshman? It's hard. Hands up if you're in New South Wales right now. There we go. We've got to love our enemy. They're amongst us. Mercy. But we don't, we don't just offer mercy. We love mercy. It's hard. And walking humbly with God, seeking God, walking with him daily is hard. But guess what? Jesus made a way. Jesus offers us his Holy Spirit. Peter says it, probably my favorite way in the whole Bible. He says, you can participate in the divine nature. Now, I've paid out on Netflix. I've paid out on the state of origin, which I love. The reason I've done that is, is that the sum total of your life? Is that what you're looking forward to this week? Are you looking forward to a TV show? Are you looking forward to a new marble bench top for your kitchen? Are you looking forward to a vacation in a Mai Tai or something like that? The world's full of good things. But the reason you're bored, the reason you haven't got a flame firing up in your heart, and the reason that you haven't got absolute joy and passion for life is because you gave up on the journey of trying to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And if you're willing to jump back on that narrow road, as the Bible calls it, if you're willing to step back onto that tonight, Thanks to Jesus Christ, you can have the Holy Spirit help you tomorrow morning to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I can tell you right now, if you participate in the divine nature this week, if you invite Jesus into your life, you, you let him guide you and lead you, you let him offer you a chance for obedience where you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, you will have the richest experience that you've ever had. There's nothing better. I love TV, I love football, I love all those things. But there is nothing better than loving people the way God loves. There's nothing better than giving a divine quality of interaction to a human being. Nothing. When those young girls told us their horrendous stories, we loved on them. We loved on them. And there's nothing better than seeing God's love land in the heart of people through you. It's awesome. 
Back in the day, you were guilty like every single other person on earth of being completely unable to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God. But thanks to Jesus Christ, this week, if you so choose to obey him and live by faith, he will use you to dispense mercy and justice and to walk with him. And that will be what the Bible calls the life that is truly life. That will be the thing that becomes the top of your tree, the thing that you want more than anything else. Instead of being a sad, depressed, anxious, frustrated consumer, you'll start to live in the kingdom of God. And when you live in the kingdom of God, you find the life that is truly life. There is nothing better than loving someone with God's quality of love. There's nothing better than serving someone with God's quality of service. There's nothing better than showing mercy with God's quality of mercy. It's where true life is found. I just want to pray for you tonight that you would make that decision, that you'd say, I want to put away my selfish pursuits and I want to put Jesus back at the top of my priority list. And I don't want to have a second-rate experience of life. I want to live the life that is truly life. I want to step onto the narrow road where I participate in the divine nature, where I actually love people with God's love. I actually serve people with God's service. I actually offer mercy with God's mercy. And I see his love land in the lives of people. Can I pray for you? Would you stand with me as we do that? Lord Jesus, we want the life that's truly life. You said in your word that it's there. Pray tonight, Lord, that we would stop being consumers, that we'd stop falling for the lie of the Western world, that money, sex, power, and fame will give us what our heart desires. But rather, Lord, I pray that we'd fix our eyes on you. The only person in history who ever acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly with God. And I pray, Lord, that we'd want that more than anything else. And Lord, we ask tonight that through your Holy Spirit, you would use us, that we would live in your kingdom this week, that we'd follow your leadership. And Lord, we, we will covet seeing someone experience your love through us. And Lord, when we do that this week, Lord, I pray that we would come back to church and instead of singing songs as some sort of religious response to you, we would sing with a heart of worship because we experienced you this week. We pray that in your awesome, wonderful and perfect name. Amen. Steve, great word. And um, what we do, we have an opportunity to respond. Um, as Steve said, Jesus has made the way for us to know him and to love him and to follow him. Um, and in this song, I really encourage you uh, wherever you're at, um, just to, to have a conversation with God in this, to look to Jesus. And there's going to be a team down the front here, and we'd love to pray for you if you would like prayer. And then we have um, Chris and Lisa at the back as well, if you'd like to go back there for prayer. But Jesus is amazing.
Jesus Christ is our Saviour. And don't miss these moments. As Steve shared then, it was a great message. And, and you see, you think to yourself, man, that love is hard to understand. And it is. But sit in that. Sit in that to think Jesus is the greatest. And He is our Saviour. And in this worship song, I really encourage you to just talk. Talk with God wherever you're at. Because He loves us individually so much. He loves us all together, but He loves us individually. So let's worship Him now. Jesus, for my family, I speak the holy name. 
Because of your name, that is on offer, Lord. And I pray for every single one of us this week, Lord, that we would be excited to live in the joy of our salvation and to follow you, Jesus Christ, and to know you to a deeper and deeper level. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Feel free to take a seat. It has been awesome to have you at church tonight. Can we just thank Steve one more time? It's been such a blessing for you sharing with us tonight. Really appreciate that. It's so true. It is a really exciting life following Jesus Christ. And I encourage you that in this week as we head out, uh, to be excited for that. Um, And I did want to say too, if you did want any prayer, feel free to come down the front, head to the back. We'd love to pray for you. Our Connections Lounge is open. If you want to connect in in any way, find a connect group, meet new people. We'd love to help you in that. And there's dinner. uh, So let's share a meal together and we'll see you next week.